Okay, this big fish vomits you onto dry land, and you're finally ready to go to Nineveh, the big city in Assyria, to deliver God's message. It's, uh, it's a long walk to Nineveh. But God got my attention through the big storm, through the big fish, especially that fish. But I'm ready to tell the Assyrians what God had said, and that was that Nineveh would be destroyed in 40 days. And I'm ready to deal with Syrians do best, and that is to torture the messenger. Well, you still have your arms, legs, and nose. They obviously didn't torture you. What happened? I went to the city, and I was expecting that they wouldn't take it seriously. Or they would take it seriously and have me tortured. But they didn't. They actually believed God's message to them. To the point that the king even declared a fast and had everyone put on burlap just to show their sorrow and repentance. Everyone participated. Even the king sat in ashes. Was it something you said? No, it wasn't just what I had said. You know, before I got there, they had already seen a solar eclipse. Their cities were being raided, and they had two plagues. So just from those events, they already thought they were on the path to destruction. My message from God only made these signs make sense, you know? That's awesome that such terrible people actually listened to God's message. Sure. Sure. You don't seem like you're happy that the Assyrians were repenting. <laughs> listen. Listen, listen, listen. God allowed all these things to happen. And the Assyrians took them to be signs, which only made them take my message more seriously. Anyone with such obvious signs would turn to God. The Assyrians weren't truly sorry. They were afraid, okay? Solar eclipses freak me out. Add upon that uh, city raiders and plagues and a prophet running around telling everybody to repent and if they don't, doom and destruction are on their way. And I'd be in ashes on my knees too. Why would God allow such things to happen? Why would he allow them to interpret all these things that happened as signs and then believe the message he sent me with? And what are my people going to think of me? Jonah, the prophet who warned our enemy of God's coming wrath and spared them from God's destruction. Who would want to live with that on their shoulders? I had such a reputation as the guy with good news. So I left Nineveh. I sat outside the city walls and I waited. Waited for what? To show God his mistake. Well, good morning. Welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. As you saw from the video, we are in uh, the story of Jonah, or the book of Jonah. And uh, what we've seen from the book of Jonah so far is that today is our last day in the book, okay? Um, now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you have seen uh, that Jonah is not really cooperating with God. And it might surprise you that, again, he is not cooperating with God. And so we would think that after all the things that have happened to 
Jonah, that Jonah would be a little more receptive to what God is trying to do. And if you have been with us, uh, or if you haven't been with us, we've been checking out the story of Jonah. And the reason we've been checking out the story of Jonah is because Jonah's story is a lot like our stories. In the first week, we saw that Jonah tried to run from God. And as he tried to run from God, he found out that he could not outrun God. And he found out that God wasn't trying to pay him back, but to bring him back. And many of us, we've tried to run from God. And when we run from God, we run to some of the strangest places in this world. And when we run from God, we also find out that we often hurt those people who are closest to us. Because that's what happens when people run. That's what happens as we run our way. And so in the first week, we learned that we can't outrun God's love for us. And so many of us have found out that You know, God isn't trying to pay us back, but to bring us back. Would you say that with me? God isn't trying to pay you back, but to bring us back. Yep. And many of you in that first week kind of raised your hand. You admitted that you'd been running and you turned in your running shoes, so to speak. And then last week, uh, we saw Jonah hit rock bottom. And we saw him finally get to a point where he admitted that he had turned his back on God and was running from God because Jonah wanted to do his own thing and not really listen to God. And in that moment, Jonah found out something. Jonah found out, he finally realized what he was doing and he thought that God should just like take his life because he was a prophet of God. But instead, God didn't do that because God doesn't do that. God gives us a second chance. He's a God of second chances. And many of us, when we run from God, we get to a point where we're kind of at a breaking point or we've hit rock bottom. And when we hit those moments, Um, It's a moment that should cause us to kind of just get down on the ground and cry out to God. And when we cry out to God, we find out that God listens to the prayers of runners. And in our broken state, he doesn't leave us there. Instead, he often leverages it for good. And we found out we are not useless. We are not worthless because God is a God of second chances. And at that point, God will often come to us with a next step. And so many of you identified a next step last week and you said, all right, you know what? I'm going to take this next step because you've seen a lot of people around here who are ex-runners who've been running from God and turned in their running shoes. And you see how their lives are being used in a positive way to impact other people's lives and our community. And so today we are going to conclude the story of Jonah. And just when you think that, you know, all right, this is the worst that gets for Jonah. Well, it gets a little more, you know, intense for Jonah because again, he stumbles upon something that is in his life that God said, hey, that's not a good thing. And so today we're going to see God working behind the scenes to surface that one thing. And we're going to see God do something else in his life or in our lives as well. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of things that kind of are going on at the end of this story. And in the midst of this story, God offers or brings to Jonah's attention this one question. And, you know, during this whole series, we've asked God tons of different questions. And I think he's done a pretty good job of answering those questions for us. And today, he's going to bring about this one question that Jonah needed to answer. 
and that all of us need to answer as well. And let me tell you, it's a tough question. It's a tough question for me. It's a tough question to answer because we don't like to look at this question. Now, for many of you who are just like checking out God or, you know, aren't a Christ follower, you're like off the hook, okay? You have permission just to kind of sit back and uh, look at maybe the person who bribed you who, uh, to bring you here or something, and you can just kind of give them an elbow and say, ooh, this is going to be fun, all right? So... For you, if you are a Christ follower, you know, this message or this question that we're going to wrestle with, it has the ramifications to change our lives. It has the ramifications to change the lives that are around us as well. And so this is a question that we need to deal with. Because when you look at all of the Old Testament stories, the story of Jonah is probably the most convicting because there's a little bit of Jonah in me. And there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. So if you have your Bibles today, would you turn to Jonah chapter three? And that's where we're going to dive in. If you have a smartphone, you can use a smartphone. Um, If you don't have a Bible, feel free to use one of the Bibles in the back. So go ahead and I'll give you a moment to turn to chapter three of Jonah. All right. So let's unpack what's going on with Jonah and how he got to a bad spot again, okay? We thought, all right, Jonah, come on. So chapter three, verse one, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. So he's just gotten out of the fish. Good news, God's not done with you, Jonah. He's a God of second chances. Verse two, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. So here's your second shot. You're supposed to have done this. Now remember, Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrians, And remember, those Assyrians are like way violent, okay? They make our modern day like horror films look tame, okay? They are ruthless, they are extremely violent, they are the enemy of Israel. All the other countries around Assyria were like, you guys have gone too far, you are too cruel, you treat people way too much like, you know, just way too violent. And so that's what we need to understand as we go through this. But God says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, Jonah, your enemy, and I want you to tell them this message. So verse three, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Now there's archeologists who have found the city of Nineveh and it really was that large. It took three days to check out this whole city. There were about 120,000 people that lived in this city and there were probably a lot of people who lived around in the surrounding areas, but in the city itself, about 120,000 people. So this is a big city for that time, okay? Now watch this in verse four. On the first day, Jonah entered the city. He shouted to the crowds, 40 days from Nineveh, or 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And so here's Jonah walking around with his sandwich board, you know, and he's saying, hey, the end is near, the end is near, you know, 40 more days, the end is near. You know, what do you think people would have thought about him, you know? Uh, They would have thought exactly what we think if we saw somebody with a sandwich board walking around, you know, in our culture, like he is weird, he's a lunatic, but something interesting happens. Something unexpected happens. Something a little bit uh, unusual happens. So watch this. In verse five, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. 
When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. They want to show God that they are remorseful. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And I think Jonah at that point was like tweeting like hashtag OMG or, and then he kind of followed up with like, okay, hashtag OMG equals goodness, you know, unless you want to spend three days on a fish, hashtag Jonah, you know. But seriously, I think he was like shocked. He's like, oh my goodness, this worked. I cannot believe this worked. Here's even the king who is repenting. This is unbelievable. Now, what we know from the video is that God was working behind the scenes. See, there's three historical things that were happening at this, this same time. Just prior to this, the first thing that we know about is that there was a solar eclipse. And back then, people thought that was a bad sign. They thought that was a bad omen. And then the second thing that was happening was there were some northern tribes at that time who had grouped together and they were raiding other different cities. And so the Assyrians were a little bit afraid because they were kind of gaining momentum. And then also in the city of Nineveh, in a five-year time span, there had been two plagues. And so when Jonah came to town and started saying these things, they just said, man, this makes sense. And what we know is that God was working behind the scenes because how do you get the attention of 120,000 different people? Now, um, if we could like stop there, this is kind of like a really important lesson. So if the book kind of ended here at this point, this is what we would need to know about this lesson, all right? God is working behind the scenes often to prepare the hearts of those he wants to hear his message. And so when we think about that and what God wants us to do, if we latched onto this idea, this is what God would want us to know. He would want us to know that, hey, when you go and talk to people about God, you know, often we are like, no, I'm not going to do that. And we kind of like hide from that. And so some of us, you know, make up excuses, excuses like, you know, they don't want to hear about God, you know, um, I, I just think they'll get offended or, you know, I don't want to invite them to church. They had like a bad church experience or something. Um, you know, I don't want to uh, get to the point with them of telling them about Jesus because that's, you know, not a cool thing to do or something. And, uh, you know, God, they, they just seem like they've got it all together. You know, uh, they wouldn't be interested at all at this point. And so, you know, they don't believe in God. They're just kind of like, you know, not into spiritual things at all. And what we need to know is that God is working behind the scenes. God is preparing hearts. And so when we get nudged, we need to tell somebody or we need to invite somebody. Or if God's asking us to share uh, our stories, we need to share our stories. Now, a number of years ago, this is what happened to me. Um, I was working with this guy and the guy was blind. And we kind of hit it off. We were talking a lot and getting to know each other um, and really building a great relationship. He was a great guy and everything. And I felt God put on my heart, hey, Tim, I want you to like, share your story with him. And I want you to tell him about my son. And so, you know, it was very easy. The guy, we had a great relationship and everything. Now, I had never asked the guy why he was blind, okay? I just think, you know, that, that's not a good thing to ask somebody, you know? So as I was telling him my story, well, it came up on how he had become blind, and he had become blind from being shot. 
And I just was like stunned in my tracks. I was like, oh my goodness. What do you say to a person who's been shot and now blinded? And here's the cool thing. At that point, the guy says to me, well, I knew that I had lived for a reason. And I was like, oh my goodness. You know, God was working behind the scenes. You know, he, when we feel that nudge or when we feel that push, God is working behind the scenes and he is with us in those moments. Now, if that was like the entire story and we could like end there, that would be like an important lesson. You know, the lesson of like, hey, here's Jonah, he ran, you know, here's Jonah who learned something, here's Jonah who finally went to the city to warn them, the people believed his message, you know, everybody's happy, we've learned the lesson that God is working behind the scenes, but it doesn't end there. Instead, God takes this huge um, spotlight and he shines it on Jonah's heart and he shines it on my heart and he shines it on all of our hearts. So let's see what he wants us to know. In verse 10, when God saw what they, the people of Nineveh, had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And we would say to Jonah, hey man, way to go. Awesome job, Jonah, way to go. But then chapter four happens, verse one. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. It's like, time out, okay, Jonah? Like, why are you angry, you know? You don't have a right to be angry. Like, why are you angry? You know, here you're like a hero. You just saved like the city of Nineveh, you know, uh, probably because if you save this city, you know, they can influence the rest of their country. Like, Jonah, why are you so ticked off? And so now we learn why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. So backing up to the beginning of the story, why he refused to go. And in this, we're going to learn something about God's character as well. So verse two, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. So in other words, uh, God, I knew you were going to do this. You know, didn't I tell you the reason I didn't want to go is because you would, um, you might save them. You know, they don't deserve to be saved. And we're thinking like, Jonah, what's your deal? You know, what's your problem here? You know, now he wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. That's the reason he didn't go. It wasn't because he was afraid of the Ninevites. He was afraid that God would be God and that God would act the way that he usually acts when he warns people and they turn back to him. Jonah was afraid that God would show them mercy because he didn't think that they deserve to have any mercy given to them. They were his enemies. Now we might be like, yeah, you're right, you know, Jonah, what's your deal? Well, let me put this into perspective, okay? Uh, for example, let's say this happened instead. After 9-11, let's say Osama bin Laden had, instead of run off and hide and everything, he just came out in public and said, you know what, hey guys, I'm sorry, you know, what we did, it was wrong, all the guys I've been hanging with, you know, they're, they're, they're sorry too, this was a great, you know, big mess, you know, let's just kind of call it even here, you know, um, we're really, really, really sorry. You guys just stay to your business. We won't blow up anything else. You know, hey, we'll just stick to our business as well. You know, there's no way that this country would have went for that. There's no way that the people who had their lives impacted and losing loved ones would have gone for that. There's no way that any of us uh, or a lot of us would have gone for that. There's certainly a person up here who would have not gone for that, you know? 
But isn't that what's in us? Don't we say, you know what? There's no way that that person should get off totally scot-free. There should be some type of justice for them. Isn't that what's in all of us? And that's what was in Jonah. Jonah's like, no way. Don't allow these guys to get off scot-free. And so that's what we need to understand what's going on in Jonah. Um, Now, Jonah is mad, okay? So he makes this statement that tells us and gives us a great amount of insight into God. So check this out at the end of verse two. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So Jonah's saying, hey God, I know the type of God you are. You know, you're full of mercy, you're full of love, you're slow to anger, you're compassionate, you give people second chances even when they don't you know, deserve second chances. And we're thinking like, good grief, you know, this guy needs counseling or something, you know? Like, what's his problem? And then he goes overboard. Listen to this in verse three. Jonah says, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Do you know why he's saying this? The reason he's saying this, put yourself in his shoes, okay? So he's this great prophet of his own people. And he goes off, and now look at what's happened. So he goes back home, and could you imagine, hey, Jonah, where you been? Oh, I've been to Nineveh. Nineveh? You've been to Nineveh? And you made it out alive? Like, what happened? Tell us, you know? And everybody's gathering around, and all the whole city and town wants to hear what's going on. And he's just kind of looking there. And he said, yeah, you know, God sent me there to tell them they were going to be wiped out. All right, yeah, woo, you know, yeah, you know, about time, those Ninevites who are, like, ruthless and brutal and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, well, what happened? Well, you know... I warned them, and they repented, <clears throat> and then now they're alive, you know? I mean, put yourself in his shoes. The people would have been, like, ticked off, like, what in the world? What did you do? What did you do with our enemy at that point? And so this is something that God, you know, we would want God to say to Jonah at this point. Verse 4, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? So God's saying, Jonah, you know, you don't have any right to be angry. You know, I am that type of God. I am a God that shows mercy. I am a God of second chances. I am slow to anger. I am exactly what you've described. And you are a recipient of what and who I am. Like, Jonah, you're mad at them, but I spared your life. Jonah, you're this great prophet of God. You memorized the entire Old Testament. You ran from me, and yet you're asking me, and you're telling me that that you think that their lives uh, should be gone? Like, you're asking me to demand their lives when I didn't demand your life? And then watch this in verse five. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah didn't like that question, you know? He just said, well, I'm not gonna answer and I'm gonna go out here on this little hill over here and look at the city. And you know what, God? I think you're wrong. And these people, they're going to show you. So I'm going to just wait out here for the next 40 days, okay? And I'm going to show you that you're wrong. Now watch this as kind of God continues to work on him. And it's kind of strange, but this is what God does. Verse 6. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for that plant. 
So now Jonah's like happy, you know, he's like, wow, you know, I've got some shade here, you know, um, God must be like wising up to my ways here, you know, he's provided this, you know, shady leaf here, and so he, he must know that I'm right, and uh, watch what God's doing behind the scenes here. Verse seven, but God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away, oops, who did that, you know? And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. Uh, where did that sand come from? A little sand in the face. Um, the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? So Jonah, hey, a few verses ago, I'm trying to teach you to be compassionate to the Ninevites, and instead you're more upset that a vine has died, you know? You are more concerned about something temporary than people's lives. You know, Jonah, are you more concerned about the temporary or are you more concerned about people's eternity? And so God kind of continues and, you know, Jonah, you know, kind of just, you know, yeah, I care about plants, you know, I'm angry enough to die about them, you know? And God locks in on, on Jonah, okay? And this is what he says, verse 10. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh, Jonah, come on, Nineveh. This is a city full of 120,000 people. You're more concerned about a vine, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. This is pretty much God saying, hey, these people don't even know better. Okay, Jonah, remember, you know who I am. You're a great prophet of God. You ran from me, okay? You expect me to be more harsh with them than I was with you. Jonah, come on, you know? And then God kind of does something humorous, okay? Watch what he says. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. All right, honestly, I don't know why that's in there, okay? Uh, but here's, what I, here's my hunch, okay? Here's what I think God is trying to do with Jonah by mentioning the animals, okay? I think God is, is taking a shot at Jonah, I think he's saying, all right, nature boy, you know, you care so much about these vines. Well, what about the animals? You know, you're certainly not concerned about the people, you know, the people are about to get slaughtered, but you, you, are you more concerned about the animals as well? And so I think God is just calling them out in that moment and he's trying to get his attention and God continues. And here's the question for all of us. Okay. Here's how this book ends with this one question. And it's a question not only for Jonah, but it's a question for all of us. He says, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And this is what God is saying in this moment. He's saying, Jonah, you're so concerned about all the wrong stuff. You know, Jonah, you are so concerned that people get what they deserve to get, but you're even more concerned that, uh, you and your temporary like shade is uh, more important than people at this point. Jonah, do you know what my primary greatest concern is? Jonah, do you know why I live? My greatest concern is that nobody gets what they deserve. That's why I scooped you out of the fish. That's why I scooped you out of the sea. It's because nobody should get what they deserve. And the reason I sent you to Nineveh, Jonah, is that there were people who didn't have any clue about me. And I want them to know who I am. And I want them to find out 
that I am a God of mercy and compassion. And so Jonah, what's your deal? Are you more concerned about the temporary, things that concern you the most, or are you more concerned with what I'm concerned about, which is eternity? Now this is where it gets personal, okay? This is where it gets personal for me, all right? Uh, a little bit ago, uh, I was having some work done on my house, okay? And as they were doing this work, I saw that they were about to make a mistake. And so I interrupted the work and I said, hey, you know, I thought we had agreed on this, you know, um, it's not going to be done right. And so there was a little bit of back and forthness, and, and I was right. I really was. And so there's a moment this guy, he wasn't really cooperating and he was wrong. And so uh, I had a moment where I could have like laid into him and in front of his boss because he was wrong. And I didn't. And I drove away um, from that meeting and I thought to myself, you know what? Like, I need to go back. And I need to tell him about Epic. And I need to tell him that we're a church for people who don't do church. No, that's not what I thought, okay? All right. <laughs> what I really thought was I wanted to go back and I was close to going back because I wanted to lay into that guy. I thought I had caught him red-handed. Now, it's all right, you know, in terms of like, you know, knowing that somebody has done something wrong and we need to fix that, uh, you know, situation. But the way that I was going to let him know that was definitely wrong. Now, the work got done, okay? But somebody unrelated to that project actually ended up leaving a couple marks in that thing. And I didn't make a big deal of it because I felt God was saying this to me. He's like, Tim, you were so concerned with the temporary rather than what I'm concerned about. Tim, you were so concerned about something that's so temporary and being right than what I'm concerned about, which is where someone is going to spend eternity. Because there's a little bit of Jonah in me. And there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. You know, don't we do that? You know, when you go out to a restaurant and you order something and they bring it wrong and they've messed up your order and stuff and you ream out the waiter or waitress, you know, we've reamed them out because there's something temporary rather than that person, you know? Or maybe there's a situation uh, where, you know, you are just like this thrifty person, love deals, getting stuff for cheap, and you haggle over prices, and you do it so much that the salesperson either walks away with their tail between their legs, or they just kind of write you off. Do you uh, realize, like, when you go to work and there's something that's not done right, and sometimes we lay into that person who's the inefficient person, but yet we've kind of discarded their eternity? Or do you ever find yourself like talking to a teacher or to a doctor who kind of, you know, yes, got something a little bit wrong, but yet we have like no regard in terms of treating them rightly over that? You know, is there a person in our lives that's just like, you know, I've just written that person off? And here's what boils down to, okay? Most of the things that we think are so great are only temporary. And do we put those things that are only temporary above people and their lives? Now, many of you, you've got flowers out in the seats and you're wondering like, what are these flowers? And the guys are like, what flowers, you know? And don't worry, we're not gonna put them in our hair or anything like that, even though some of the women out there have got them in their hair. Uh, but anyways, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and grab one of those flowers, okay? And I want you to hold it and I want you to look at it, okay? And as you look at that flower, I want you to think about this question, okay? 
This flower represents our greatest concerns in life. Is your greatest concern temporary, or is it of eternal value? Is this flower represent what is the greatest concern in your life, and is that temporary, or is that eternal? Now, some of us, we are afraid to do some things. For some of you, this flower might be your reputation. Maybe you don't go to work and you don't tell people who you are or what you believe in and stuff like that because you don't want to risk your reputation. Or for some of you, maybe um, your schedule is like the thing you live for. So you like get up at 6 a.m. in the morning and you're like routined out and you're like dropping kids off and you're like the pro at that, you know, and you're just like on it and you're just like, whew, made it, you know, one minute to spare, you know, and, you know, 28 minutes for lunch only. I got back in time to crank it out or something like that. But yet you have no room in your schedule for people. You have no room for your neighbor because your greatest concern is your schedule or your time. And then for some of us, you know, for some of us, maybe the greatest thing in our lives is that we've been a a Christ follower for a very long time. And all the people that we have in our lives are Christ followers. And we just hang out with Christ followers all the time. And that's our greatest concern. And we've left no margin for God to allow us to bump into someone who doesn't know anything about God. What is your greatest concern? Are you more concerned about the temporary things in this life or are you more concerned with what God is, is so much concerned about in this life? Now, this is what I want you to do with that flower, okay? I want you to take it home and I want you to take some of the cards there on the seats as well. And I want you to put that flower on top of the cards and I want you to watch that flower just wither. Don't water it, okay? I want you to just let it die. And as you watch that flower die, I want you to think about this. Does that flower represent something that's only temporary or does it represent something that's eternal? Are you going to allow that temporary thing to wither away or are you going to try to grasp onto it? So God's greatest concern is people, you know? And so when you watch that flower wither, you just say, God, you know what? I'm going to allow this greatest temporary concern to go. And I'm going to start focusing more on what you're concerned about. Because there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. There's a little bit of Jonah in me. And that needs to go away. Because you know what God's greatest concern is? God's greatest concern is our friends, our families, those that we know, our neighbors, our coworkers, anybody that we bump into. Because God is working behind the scenes for us to bump into people that he wants them to finish the the finish line. That's what God is concerned about. That's why we're a church for people who don't do church because we are so concerned with what God is concerned about. And so will you join him? Will you allow your temporary concerns to wither away? And will you lock in on what he's inviting all of us to do? Is to treat people like they matter and to show them that there is a God that loves them. That's what he's asking us to do. That's his greatest concern. And so would you, would you put that flower somewhere and then would you watch it wither and then would you invite somebody? And if it's not to Easter, just invite them at some point when it makes sense, all right? Well, let's pray and then let's close out as Trent comes up. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you, during this series, we've seen that you aren't trying to pay us back, but to bring us back. 
God, you are God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. And God, your greatest concern is about people. And often we allow in this life for temporary things to get in the way of that. And so God, thank you for shining that spotlight on our hearts because you know better. You know that there's a little bit of Jonah in us. And so Father, we thank you for allowing us to see your heartbeat. And we trust you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Um, What a great challenge for all of us. Are we going to care more about temporary things? Are we going to care more about things that last forever? People. People are the only things that last forever. And I think as Tim has mentioned in the service, we've mentioned before, everybody lives forever somewhere, either with God or apart from God. And God has placed us around people at work, at home, at school, so we can invite them so they can meet Jesus and live with him forever. So I really encourage you, take as many of these cards as as you can off of the seats that are there, and this week, hand them out. Invite people to come to our Easter service. That's a time of year that people are more willing to go to a service than any other time, that and Christmas. So um, we would love to have as many people as possible to come. If you've got some friends that you'd say, listen, I'm not so sure where they are on their journey with God. I'm not so sure they're into the God thing. It'd be a great time for them to come because we're going to talk about the great gamble and we're going to ask the question, what are you betting your life on? We're going to ask people to bet their lives on Jesus. So I'd love to have your, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers to be a part of that service next week with us. So invite them this week. Next week, we're also going to have a baptism. So um, we're going to have baptism in the ocean down at Flagler Beach, 16th Street North. Uh, what a great location. What a great day to be baptized. So if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you have not followed that up by being baptized, we would love to celebrate your baptism with you. You can sign up online at our website, theepicchurch.com, and under our resources tab, you'll see some information there about baptism, and you can fill that out, and then we'll get you scheduled for that. We would love to celebrate your baptism on that day. Now, after we do our Easter service next week, we're going to start a new series on purpose. And so the title of it is simply called Purpose, and we're going to ask the question, what is the purpose of our lives? Question that many of us have been asking. You know, what, why am I here? What is my reason for existence? What is the purpose that God has for me? So we're going to explore that together. And as a part of that series, what we're going to do is we're going to be reading through a devotional book called The Purpose Driven Life. Now, there are over 32 million copies of this sold, so you just might have a copy of this. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be reading through it throughout the six weeks of this series. And this book has actually been updated from the original one that came out. And we have copies back at this table by our tech table. They're $10. We'd love for you to pick one up and take one with you. And we'll be using it in several weeks as we get to the end of that. Now, again, it has been updated. There are two new chapters in it. There are a few other things that make it different. The original book, is, is uh, this is pretty much the same as the original book, except for those two new chapters and a few minor things. So if you do have the original book, you would have most of the information that you would need. But if you'd like to pick another one up, we'd love for you to do that as well. 
Now, today is our epic day at the park. So we are going to go out to the park, Wadsworth Park. If you're headed down State Road 100 towards the beach, right before you hit the bridge, the intercoastal bridge, on the left-hand side is Wadsworth Park. We would love for you to come out today. Bring your friends, bring your family. Everybody's welcome. Um, and Invite that neighbor that you would rather not hang out with because we'll hang out with them. It would be great. <laughs> Uh, would love to have as many people come out and celebrate with us at our day at the park. Um, bring your dinner. We'll be there at about 5.30, so around dinner time. So bring enough dinner for you. And then make sure you bring your sneakers, because I hear a game of Guatemalan dodgeball is going to break out. So it's going to be fantastic, a game that we can play with everybody from little to big. And usually the big people get hurt worse than the little people. So it's fun to watch, and it's fun to participate in. So I'd love to have you join us for that this afternoon at 5.30. Now, if you have uh, been interested in getting connected in one of our uh, starting point, our small group environments, the first thing that we encourage you to do is get connected in starting point. And we have an information meeting right after the service about that. So uh, if you would like to participate in that, learn more about starting point, how you can get connected in our small group environment, then I encourage you to stop by over here. There's a little room right over here. You see information. There'll be an information side on this side of the building. If you have children, I encourage you to run back and get your kids first and then make your way back up to this teacher's lounge over here on this side of the building, and we'll get you connected with Starting Point. Now, something we talk about each week here is this thing called giving. If you want to partner with us in what God is doing here in our church family, there's several ways that you can do that. One is through serving. We would love to have you serve with us. There are many ways for you to get active in serving. You can stop by our Connection Center, talk to somebody about that before you leave today. You can also give of your financial resources in two ways. You can give through our website at theepicchurch.com, or you can give through one of our giving boxes at the back of each seating section. If you are a guest with us, if this is like your first time here, we'd love for you to stop by our Connection Center and, and have one of our uh, connectors there meet you and give you some more information about our church family, maybe answer some questions that you might have about our church. If you are not new with us, thank you for coming back. It's awesome that you came back. We're, we're privileged to have you here, and we look forward to seeing you next week as we celebrate Easter together. Now, before you leave today, my final challenge for you is to talk to somebody that you don't know or don't know well before you head on into your day. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Happy Palm Sunday, everybody.